Welcome to Lodging On Demand. In this episode, Dennis Nessler is joined by Sloan Dean of Remington Hotels to discuss some of the leading industry issues and trends. From the popularity of the leisure movement to rising construction costs, Dean shares his insights and perspectives while providing an update on Remington. Hi, this is Dennis Nessler, Editor-in-Chief of Lodging Magazine. I'm here today with Sloan Dean, CEO of Remington Hotels. Welcome, Sloan. Hey, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're happy to have you. Um, wanted to start out talking a little bit about the industry. We just came back from the Alice conference a couple of weeks ago. Um, some, some optimism, cautious optimism, if you will, but we know there's a lot of economic headwinds, inflation, interest rates, et cetera. What's your outlook on things as, as we head into 23? Yeah, I, I mean, I think inflation as it relates to hotels is, is pretty well tamed. If you look at December core inflation, absent food and energy was only up. 0.1% month on month. Now that uptick slightly in January when the Fed released uh, the most recent CPI numbers. But if you look at, uh, if you remove housing and energy, um, you know, inflation is anemic month on month. And so that's a lot of the inflationary headwinds we have. I think the biggest issue we have is the labor market. You still have unemployment at 3.4%. I think hourly wage and unskilled labor is still growing at four to five percent year on year now that was eight or nine percent wage inflation six months ago um, so i'm still looking for wage inflation to come down on a year-over-year basis more to the three three and a half percent um, so i think you know variable labor unskilled labor housekeepers bar attendants servers are going to continue to be a problem for the hotel industry but you know a lot of the costs headwinds we had in 22, I think have cooled off except for the, the labor market. Um, and I'm very encouraged what we're seeing in Repar just as recently as January, you know, our total revenue was considerably over uh, 2019 levels uh, and considerably over our budgets that were approved by all our various owners. Mm -hmm. So, but you're still seeing some solid demand. So that's, that's good news. Um, and let's not forget supply growth is muted. Um, you know, supply growth is under 2%. Construction financing is really hard. So it's not good to be a developer right now, but yeah. it's good to be an existing hotel owner operator, which we are, um, because there's not, um, you know, supply growth is well below the 30 year average and is projected to be so this year and next year. And so I think that lends itself to occupancy recovery this year and next. You know, yeah, we've had all this pricing power. That has helped profitability and offset some of the inflationary headwinds. But you know, no one's talking about that we're still seeing occupancy recover back to 19 levels. And hey, if supply is muted and demand continues, that means higher occupancy for everyone. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned 19 several times. And uh, I'm curious in terms of benchmarking, you guys still using that as, as kind of the benchmark? And, and if so, like how long do you think that will continue to be the case uh, for the industry? Uh, we are because we want to hold ourselves accountable to be better than we've ever been. And so if the watermark high for a hotel was net operating income on a real dollar basis in 2019, then we want to tell that owner and that lender and that brand partner, when are we going to get back to that basis where everyone was making a lot of money? Because maybe the owner has a debt maturity this year and that has influence on the pay down or refinance. Maybe the brand is thinking about, okay, the franchise agreement's up in 2026. What do we want to do? And so we don't want to lose sight of that story. Yeah, I think we as an industry should have learned from and moved away from COVID. 
Um, and so always looking in the rearview mirror is not a good thing. But I think unless the hotel on an inflation-adjusted basis is over 2019 levels in net income, we're still comparing back to that. Now, I've got a lot of hotels that they're at watermark highs today. And so in those hotels, the focus is how much more can we maximize the top and the bottom to get the further highs in 23 and beyond. But I still have a good many urban hotels in particular where their net operating income is still off the 19. And so we wanna be telling that story to the owners, to the brand partners, to the lenders of when we're gonna get back to that and exceed that. And so I think that we can't lose that comparison. We shouldn't just all of a sudden move back to a year over year comparison uh, and forget uh, you know, prior income levels for, for owners. We almost see it as a more transparent accountability of saying, hey, pre-COVID, we delivered you this amount of income. We want to exceed that um, and hold ourselves accountable to that. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier um, midweek business and, and some of the challenges with that. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the bleasure trend. Uh, what, what you've seen, is it real? Um, the shoulder nights, I guess, that, are, that have increased. Uh, you know, how would you characterize what, uh, what everyone's calling bleasure? Now, I would cat categorize it in three main categories that sometimes get the, the bleasure uh, noun, if you want to call it that, is misused. So the first category of business that is definitely here to stay are companies that allowed their workforce to move remote, permanently, or partially remote. And now they require quarterly, sometimes monthly, but mostly quarterly team meetups. And so their company offsites and where it's used to, they may be, they were all officing in New York and now they're scattered across the country and they come together once a quarter and that's usually for an entire week. And they do strategy planning, they do quarterly reviews, they do P&L reviews, team building. And we're seeing that as a new segment of corporate travel midweek where it's okay, you don't have PricewaterhouseCoopers, Deloitte, you know, taking half the hotel, but now you've got waste management or Raymond James or, you know, some other service, financial service company taking a third of the hotel. And by the way, they're doing meetings in your meeting space and they're doing a bar event at your bar. So your, your other ancillary income actually rises because it's not a transient customer. It's a group in there together. And so you can sell some other services, which I think is good for resorts and full service hotels. So that's the first, uh, you know, I don't know what you want to call it. You want to call it corporate offsite, but it's a ever increasing segment. And I think it's here permanently. Uh, the second is um, fully remote or uh, remote flexibility where people uh, go and work from a hotel. Uh, we've probably all done this. You know, I'm, I'm actually doing it in a couple of weeks where I'm going to California and I'm not taking any days off. I'll be working from the hotels and I'm visiting family. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a lot of that, that there's, you know, new office rules where they only have to be in two days a week and they can be remote. And so it's almost not a business leisure trip. It is somebody going and visiting and having an extra vacation that they work during the day. And then, so that's where you have to think about, okay, my internet speed's got to be really good uh, because all of a sudden half the hotel is working from the hotel during the day. So you're putting all this load on the Wi-Fi signal. Um, my bar offering has to be really compelling because when they get done, they just want to go downstairs and have a bar experience with their spouse or with whoever they're traveling with. And so there's that whole second component of work remote, but they're working from hotels. And then the third 
is what is traditionally business leisure where people are combining trips, you know, that I've got to go to New York the 28th through the 2nd. Well, my fiance and I have really close friends in New York. We're staying an extra two days and just visiting friends. And so my typical two, two nights in and, and out turned into four nights. Um, and so I think we're seeing that really benefit Sunday, Thursdays in the most dramatic way where you're seeing occupancy lift of early arrivals or weekend stayovers. And I think that's a trend too that's here to stay. You know, a lot of offices are not requiring, I mean, if you go to Manhattan, for example, and you want to schedule a meeting on a Friday, good luck because <laughs> nobody's in the office. They're all out at the Hamptons or in their homes in New Jersey and Connecticut because right. they're required to come in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So all my business trips now are Tuesday to Thursday in uh, New York. Um, and then I just tack on a weekend on the front or the, or the back end to, to meet with friends. And I, I think that component of extended trips uh, where people are combining business with leisure is here to stay. Let's talk a little bit about the management landscape. Uh, there's been a lot of um, acquisitions and consolidations. You guys have been part of that uh, acquiring Chesapeake. What, how do you, uh, I guess, how's that gone? How's the integration gone? And, and, and how do you look at the management landscape these days? Yeah, you know, there, uh, I look at it, there's kind of three categories of third-party managers, in my opinion. There are the, uh, the really large operators, the big three, um, and really it's the big two, but the big three, and that's, that's Ambridge, Highgate, and Pyramid Group, um, who are, they sell, now instead of, uh, you know, they're almost kind of the too big to fail, They've, uh, they're selling um, that we're all a commodity. Uh, and so you might as well have scale to drive down costs of procurement, medical insurance, et cetera. But what you're seeing is that um, you have a lot of disgruntled owners in those groups because they've gotten so big, they can't give personalized service to an owner who has one or two hotels. You then have a second category of managers that are small, very regional in operation, or they're an owner operator, and they provide very personalized service, but they don't have the scale of the big guys. Um, and they're the ones who are being consolidated in a lot of cases. You know, it's a, maybe a principal who started the companies in their 60s and not, do not have succession planning. Or, and a lot of them are selling out to Ambridge and Highgate and, uh, you know, and, and in some cases, Pyramid. What we're trying to do is very different. Uh, we never want to be the biggest because just because you're the biggest doesn't mean you're the best. And in our business, I think you can make an argument. Some of the best operators are not the biggest. Um, the, the second thing is that you can't be good at everything. You know, you can't go do economy hotels and then do luxury and then do, um, uh, you know, go buy a brand. And then, uh, you know, manage big, complicated convention center hotels, manage in Europe, manage in Asia, you know, deal with macroeconomics, and then be good at everything. You just can't. It's not possible, um, particularly in hospitality. And so what Remington has said is we want to be an owner and associate-centric management platform that is the best in the Americas. We're not going to go to Europe. We're not going to go to Asia. There's 60,000 hotels in the U.S. We have a natural branch in the Mexico, Caribbean. We're doing several deals in the Caribbean. Uh, we're going to get into the all-inclusive space. Um, and we can do that all in lifestyle and boutique hotels and large full-service resorts. Uh, we're not going to be going into economy and mid-scale in any meaningful way. 
We're not going to Europe, Asia. I see that all as distraction. And we want to be very focused on being the best operator of lifestyle and boutique and large full service and resorts in the Americas. And we saw Chesapeake aligned with us in that mission. So the reason Chesapeake has been successful, we didn't see it simply as P&L accretion or balance sheet accretion. It was full culture alignment. And we've actually added more new contracts than lost hotels. Uh, if you actually went to those, every one of those 16 Chesapeake owners, so there were 16 owners across the, the 30 something hotels, every single one of them are happy um, because the emphasis was cost neutrality for the owner, higher PL performance for the owner, and better benefit for the associate, you know, giving them more promotability, lower cost of medical, and trying to bring that all together. When you try to do everything, uh, you know, and if I were to pick on Ambridge, for example, they manage everything from um, economy all the way up to luxury, union to non-union, they're in just about every continent. You can't do everything well, and you can't grow. You can't grow at 30 to 40% a year and do it well. You know, if you look at any great company that it succeeds, if you grow too slow, you die. If you grow too fast, you fall in on yourself. And I think actually that's what we're seeing in our industry. You're seeing a lot of disgruntled owners with the big guys because they've grown too fast. You see a lot of disgruntled owners that are with the smaller regional operators because they can't provide the level of support and service because they just don't have a big enough portfolio. And then there's this group in the middle, which we're kind of the biggest of now that we've acquired Chesapeake. And uh, we want to continue to be able to say we're the best. And, um, you know, are we the best at every single hotel? Not yet. And until we can say that, we're, we're going to be very stingy about the M&A we do. Um, lastly, what, what I know you guys, uh, you know, you added Chris Green as president uh, as part of the, the Chesapeake deal. Um, what has that done to your role? What, how has your role changed? And, and um, you know, corporately kind of uh, how have things changed, if at all? I'm more focused on company growth, com company M&A uh, for doing a key money deal or MES lending or we're a uh, limited partner equity wise that kind of all flows through me so i'm really focused on company growth and owner relations and then chris is really focused on the day-to-day -day operating nuts it's not to mention i mean we're still at a size where i jump into individual assets i was just meeting with an owner who's got a full service hotel here in town um so i think you know whenever it gets to the point that i don't know individual hotels is it a day i don't want this job but it, him in that position allows us to divide and conquer more. Um, and he's also able to dive into the weeds on the operating side more than I am on a day-to-day -day basis. So, sure. um, so I guess you could say, hey, I'm really focused on corporate strategy, growth, M&A, uh, growing outside just the U.S. And then Chris is really focused on operations, commercial, and accounting. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, it sounds like exciting times ahead for Remington, and I appreciate your time this afternoon, Sloan. Yeah, thanks. It's always great to talk to you, and I'll give Chris your regards, and thanks for the time. You got it. Sounds good. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to Lodging On Demand. If you want more content like this, subscribe to Lodging Magazine on YouTube. You can also subscribe to Lodging On Demand wherever you get your podcasts. For news and updates, follow at Lodging Magazine on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn or visit us at lodgingmagazine.com.